I'll get right into his word today. Thank you for coming if you're here as a guest today. I wanted to talk to you about something very, very special that I believe that the Lord just dropped into my heart this week. Last week, I was talking about the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking about him for the last three weeks. He's the most intriguing, confusing, hard-to-understand character of God. But something that really hit me, and it wouldn't leave my spirit all week, is when I talked about how the Holy Spirit dwells in the temple of our heart. The Bible says we are the temple of God. Now, I preached it, and I meant it when I preached it, but do you know all week that revelation just kept unfolding? Who has that happen sometimes when a sermon or just one particular line from God just keeps unfolding and unfolding and unfolding? That's what happened to me all week. Every day I just thought whenever I got angry, Whenever I looked at somebody, you know, the, with a little bit of rage, maybe, right? It happens to us on the road. But I just began to think, I'm the temple of the Lord. He's not a faraway God. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. God is not far away. It's human nature to think of God in heaven. Who thinks God's in heaven? Anybody here? Now, would we be wrong? Would I be lying if I said God is in heaven? He is in heaven, isn't he? God the Father is in heaven. Where is God in the earth? Anybody want to know? Does he just roam around the earth? My Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within his people. This is not my concept of the Bible. This is not my perception. It says, you are the temple. Everybody, let's just say it out loud. I am the temple of the Lord. And so if I'm his temple, where's his presence? Is it in a building? Sure, it can be in a building. People have experienced it in buildings, but why? Because God's people were there who said, I want your presence. And by activating the Holy Spirit, by saying, I want an encounter with you, right? Who was forced to follow God? Anybody here was actually pushed down to the altar? Maybe somebody dragged you up to the altar, but did anybody make you kneel down? Did anybody make you say, God, I want to follow you? Did somebody move your lips up and down and make you say it? Every single one of us, whether we said them in the same exact words is irrelevant, but all of us made a choice. Who made a choice to follow God? Who made a choice to be here today? So let's not be naive and think that we don't also have to make a choice to say, Holy Spirit, I want you to be active in this service, in my life, in this day. God is, it's been said that God is a gentleman, and he really is. God does not force. I like to say, though, that God can strongly imply sometimes, doesn't he? God has a way of implying very, very strongly. God has a way of getting his way. He will. But God does not force. He doesn't force anyone. Even kings. I often talk about King Ahab because I just can't believe that he repents and God gives him mercy. But it is a picture of the love and grace and mercy of God, isn't it? It is incredible of how gracious he is. What I want to share with you today is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, prophesies something uh, nearly 1,000, 700-ish years in advance about Jesus, 2,700-ish or to 3,000 years ago. For us here today, prophesies that Jesus would bring and fulfill what is called the new 
covenant. I want you to say that out loud. The new covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant was very simply an agreement. It's an agreement between two or more parties that I'll do such and such, and you do such and such, and we have an agreement, right? It's a handshake, so to speak, and it used to be done, right? People would do it with you know, spit on their palms, right? People would do blood agreements. There's been all kinds of forms of covenant agreements throughout history. But God himself made a covenant with humanity that I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And ultimately, it was leading up to Jesus on the cross who fulfilled the covenant. And this is what it says in the book of Hebrews. And the prophecy now is coming to pass. Jesus has already gone to the cross. And here we are. They're writing about what actually happened. What did Jesus do on the cross? Did Jesus merely go to a cross and say, okay, now everybody can go to heaven? No, it was so much more than just the fact that we are, yes, we are dead in our sins on the earth, and he does give us abundant life, which is heaven, but he gave us so much more. It is so cheap of us, in fact, to think of Jesus as only a ticket or an entrance to heaven. But something happened, the Bible says, in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 9. It says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, what is he talking about here in Hebrews? Well, in the very first covenant, going back, Jeremiah is referencing a new covenant. Why, is he, why, when he said there would be a new covenant, did it even make sense? Because anybody reading Jeremiah would have been aware of what? If there's something new, then there's also something old. There was an old covenant. In fact, there were many old covenants, plural. And these covenants were always sealed with blood. They took the blood of an animal. That's what the sacrifices were in the temple. That's what happened in the temple. The only reason there was even a tabernacle, the only reason there even was a temple was what? A place to come and to bring the blood, which did what? Does anybody, let's remember our Old Testament church history, right? What is happening? Well, very simply, your life, God looked down from heaven, he looked at that animal, and he said, that's you. And when they slit their throat, I mean, it's gruesome, but let's just be real here. You know, you think it was pretty when Jesus was on the cross? Can you imagine? I, can't, I just can't even fathom. It says he didn't even look human when it was finished. But the Bible says that they would lay their hands on the head so they could feel the death. And they would feel the life go out from them. And basically, that blood covered your life. This is, this, is, this is the Bible. And this went on for thousands of years, and it was a covenant. And God said, okay, you come to me. Now, don't think that that blood didn't also require what? A heart. Was the blood simple, simply enough to cover you? No. Because if you didn't come, this is funny. People go, oh, well, God just covered them by the blood. You know, just all of Israel. No, it doesn't say that. It says, you must come and what? 
present your offerings to the Lord. It was an engagement, and it always has been an engagement with people. Ever since Adam and Eve, they were engaged with God. It was never ever that God's in heaven, you're on the earth, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, you mess up, I spank you, you're good, I'll send down blessings. It was never ever meant to be that. It was always meant to be this engagement, this, the Bible calls it the New Testament, a Greek word I love called koinonia. And it is basically the, the synergy, it is the joining together, just like the Bible says, it's a mystery. I don't know how Paul said, a man and a woman, they join together and they become one person. They're two entities and yet the Bible says they're one. And he says that mystery is the same as what God has always intended between him in heaven, us on the earth, that actually they're joined together. And there is no separation, the Bible says, between heaven and earth and we are one. God is not far away. He's never meant to be far away. He was meant to be one with us. And how did that happen? Yes, by the blood of Jesus. It was in the old covenant, required blood, and it required your participation. So your participation and the blood of an animal brought together salvation, Old Testament. New Testament, we read here that Jesus became the blood. The Bible says Jesus became the one. He took the place of the pure and spotless lamb. And the Bible says, verse 15, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant. There we are. So there's fulfillment of the 700-ish year prophecy that Jesus would, he would remove the old covenants or you might say he would fulfill the old covenants and become the once and for all new covenant. And what it says here is that when this was done, this covenant came that God and people, they were joined, it says, so that all who are called, and who's been called by the Lord, we all have. If you've never been called by the Lord, I'm calling you today. You can never stand before the Lord and say he never called because he just did. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, the Lord just called you. So the Bible says that whoever are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. And why is that significant? Why is he talking about the first and the sins under that? Because what he's talking about is, is the person that was uh, bringing the animals. What ends up happening is, who knows why even Jesus is coming on the scene? Because they made a big giant mess. Something crept in that's worse than sin itself. Is there something worse than sin itself? Yes, it's called religion. Religion to God is more, is more putrid than sin. Religion is the worst sin of all. Because what happened is, is the sinner, the Bible says, Jesus said, who is more righteous? The sinner is beating his chest and said, I'm a sinner and I'm aware of it. But the man who thinks he's righteous, who's doing, going through the actions of religion, he says, well, at least I'm better than that person there. And there's no breaking, there's no repentance. Jesus has compassion on the prostitute, and he's got compassion on the tax collector, and he has no compassion on the religious. 
of that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, why though? Why was it such an issue? Because they acted, he said, you wear your robes and you parade yourselves around the city and you look like you're so holy and you act so holy, but in your heart is evil. And I don't care what your outside actions do as much as I care about the heart. And so Jesus restored back something that had been created. We, you can go back into the podcast of two, week one and two about what he did in Adam and Eve. This relationship that he wanted, this is where we're going to look at it in chapter 10 of Hebrews. This is where he gets more into that. He says quickly here, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. It says in verse 11 of chapter 10, Under the old covenant, the priest would stand and he'd minister day after day after day. And he would offer the same sacrifices again and again and again. And people would be the same. They've always been the same. People are always the same. Nothing has changed. We, we say, okay, we go through the religious acts. Okay, I went to church. I said my prayers. I did my religious things. You know, we can come and we, can, we could worship here. We can attend a Sunday. I can get up tomorrow morning and think I'm having Bible time, but really I'm just getting through it quickly so I can go on in my day. And I'm just going through the emotions of looking Christian, looking as a believer. But the Bible says that Jesus, verse 12, our high priest, he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Now, some people have taken this, and just like every other scripture Paul says, right? Actually, Peter's quoting Paul, and he's like, they've taken every verse out of context. He's like, Paul's hard to understand sometimes. Who thinks Paul's hard to understand? All right, some people say, I don't understand the Bible. Right, then you get into the writings of Paul, and they're really deep, and he's bringing old and new and mixing it together, and you're like, I, I'm not sure, and you're trying to figure it out. Well, even 2,000 years ago, Peter's like, I know. He's like, but you know what? Take some time and think about it. It's not hard to understand. It's just hard on the surface because what people tend to do is they take concepts, and then they bring them out of their context of, the, of who God is, and what they do is then they just make up theologies and philosophies from scriptures. Some people would say, well, he cleared our sins once and for all, so this means that all I need to do is just get under his blood and I'm good. But I don't see that from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. There's not one story where the person wasn't completely and totally engaged with God. In fact, I see that the characters that were not engaged, what happened? It was a slippery slope into the wrong place, and things went crazy. And if God wants to give that person grace when they cross over, that is between him and them. But I will certainly not preach that that is okay for you to live. That's between you and Lord. If you want to take that chance, that you just say, I'm under his blood, I can do whatever I want, I'll take the chance at the great white throne of judgment. I can't preach that as the preacher. That's between you and him. But the Bible says that Jesus completes this. He's the sacrifice. Then he sits down at the right hand of God. It's finished. It's completed. He sends the Holy Spirit down into the earth to live inside of you, the temple. And this is what it says. It says, verse 15, that the Holy Spirit testifies that this is so. He says, verse 16, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. Does anybody know what the new covenant is? Come on, mature believers, we know. Do you know what the new covenant is? Is it attending a church? 
is the new covenant saying a prayer? Is the new covenant acting Christian? Is it singing songs? The new covenant, come on, it must be important because Jeremiah, one of the few prophets, he thought he was the only one, right? Thought he was one of, you know, just left out there alone. God showed him like he showed the other prophets. You're not alone, but he was one of few. And he said that God's going to bring this new covenant. It must be important. So let's pay attention to what it is. He says, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will put my laws. I want you to say that out loud. God's law is meant to be written in my heart. He says, I will write them on their minds. And then he says, then I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And so, dear brothers and sisters, verse 19, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. I'm going to read verse 20 in a moment, but I just want to pause here. The Bible says, not one verse, you should become a Christian. He tells them to go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the good news. Now, are we Christians? Yes, come on. You guys know me. You know my personality. You know my way of speaking. I like to say things, and you're like, wait, what did he just say? Get your attention. I'm going to expound. I'm going to finish, okay? The only reason you even called a Christian is because that's the titles that started getting put on people. Originally, they were called followers, just believers in Christ, followers of Christ. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't an, a, a somebody that attended a particular organization or church, right? It wasn't a gr- just some group of people. It wasn't, certainly wasn't cool and trendy. You were being killed for it. So you better have believed what you believed to become a believer. But the Bible says, I want you to go and preach the good news, go and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? That our sins are dirty. We are mucky. We are disgusting. Uh, Come on, let's just be real. We are dirt. We are garbage. You might think that's too many adjectives. I can keep going. We're lustful. We're envious. We're proud. We're greedy. Come on, any describing anybody's hearts? It certainly describes mine without Christ. And if you don't think it's yours, then maybe this altar is for you today. <laughs> but the Bible says that something would happen between us and Christ. Something incredible. He said, those things deserve death, but my blood will cover them. All that I need you to do is acknowledge that you are that sinner, and come to me, and give that to me. And the Bible says, I will do something in return. I will put my law in your heart. I will write it on your mind. And then it says, he said, I will never remember your sins. What's so incredible about this, just amazing, is that when I read the Bible, really what I'm doing, 
You ready for this? I'm just engaging in what my heart already knows. My heart, even, even the murderer knows he's a murderer. Come on, let's, for real. You know, we, we live in a system, you can read in Romans 1, about how things went south quick. They always have. God let people, he just lets people think what they want to think. It's not old. You want to see what's going on in America today? Go read Romans 1. It's almost word for word. It's unbelievable. I was going to read it, and I was like, I don't know. I don't think I can. I just, it's, that's heavy, Lord. I don't even want to read it. I'll let you read it on your own time. I think I'd have a tough time reading it today. Go read Romans 1. It's word for word what ends up happening when you remove God. But God never, in contrast, designed for us to come into some sort of religious system to come out of the world. That was never, ever his plan. What that does is they come in. You know what the real issue with the Pharisees and Sadducees, why the religious God had so many problems with them? It's not their religion. And yet the definition of religion is the problem. It wasn't the religion that God is God. That's not the problem. It was the act of religion because they found a loophole for everything that they wanted to do. He's like, oh, you want to get a divorce? Just do a certificate. Right? Come on, this is what Jesus said. He's like, oh, you don't murder, but you hate in your heart. Jesus boiled it down to the heart, and here we are. Here's the new covenant. If we go through all the motions and yet our heart hasn't changed, we are not a believer. I'm not saying it's going to be instantaneous. I'm not saying that you're going to kneel at this altar. You're going to pray, Lord, come into my life. I give you my life. I present my life to you. I'm yours. You're mine. And that instantaneously, you're going to be a perfect vessel. You are in his, in his sight, but you're not necessarily going to look like one in the earth. But something will happen. Something will spark. Who can testify that the very next day you went to go swear and something didn't feel right? You went to go turn on a particular TV show or movie or talk a certain way to somebody or be with somebody and something just didn't feel right. Who can deny? And I've talked to people that have backslidden and have gone away and I say, go ahead and try. Lie to my face and tell me that you didn't feel the check in your spirit when you were walking away. Something supernatural happened. And if we go through the motions, but we don't let it enter into our hearts and truly let, us, let him change the way we think, the, way we, the things we meditate on, then we are not believers. This is not my perception. This is not me just come up with some sort of new teaching. I'm looking here at the book of Hebrews, and it said, this is what he did. I created, I abolished the old covenant. I paid a great price, Jesus said, to get this covenant into the earth, into your life. And this is what it is. It says, verse 20, by his death. Everybody, let's just read this out loud, because I think our heart needs to hear it from our mouth. By his death. And just read this out loud. By his death. We should think. We shouldn't be afraid. I know I've heard people say they don't like to watch the movie The Passion because it's too hard to watch. I think it should be required watching at least once a year to see with your eyes how bloody and gruesome. And Mel Gibson said, I could have went way worse, but I knew that people couldn't take it. 
So I had to pan the camera away, and we did other scenes during just to show. But the, the death of Christ, he died in our place, and the Bible says it did something else. It didn't just get into your heart and into your mind. Something happened. I restored back what's been broken. There was, there was this disconnect where the Bible says in the book of Judges that everybody just did whatever they wanted. It says the same thing back in Genesis before the flood. You know your mind, if you let it, will decide on its own what's right and wrong. Who has seen it? Society today is rewriting rights and wrongs. Who has seen it? Who here is above 50? You know, just a few of us. I'm not saying me, but us as a crowd. I'm not there yet. I got a little while. Who has seen society rewrite, right? They've rewritten rights and wrongs. Just bringing confusion in every sort. You cannot, listen, the Lord spoke to me this morning so clearly. I was going through these notes, and he said, gravity respects no fool. I want you to understand this. You ready for this? Gravity is a law of the universe. I can hate it. You ready? Just like I can hate God. Or, you ready for this? This is where it gets crazy. And my mind doesn't compute because we want to see, I love the grace of God and the mercy of God. We don't understand the other part, the death and destruction and hardships and things that go on this earth, right? That's the, the first, nobody cares about God, but the moment something bad happens, why did God do this? It's not right, but I understand their thinking because, you know, suddenly God, God enters the picture, but I understand they're like, well, it doesn't make sense. But here's the thing, even if I was unaware of gravity, guess what happens if I walk off a cliff? It does not respect the fool. You can hate God or you can think, I just don't want to know about him. I don't care to know about him or I attended once, I heard about him and I never did anything more to it. And you know, on the day of judgment, you will be judged the same. Whether you were foolish or whether you were hateful towards God is the same result. And when I was thinking about this, I was just shocked. I said, wow. Wow, Lord, that is just too heavy. And yet it is true. There are laws of the universe that exist with or without acknowledgement of God. And the same thing goes for the covenant of Christ. Whether I choose to receive it or not, it exists for me to be aware of. Yes, the Bible says multiple verses. Thank God we're not unaware, right? We are, the Bible says in different words, but I'll just paraphrase a few different verses in this. We are fully aware of the enemy's devices and plans, aren't we? We have been told, in this church, you've been told. We are aware that this is his world system that is headed towards what? Me, myself, and I. And we remove ourselves from this world system. We enter through Christ into his system, which is eternal, which is selfless. We return from me, myself, and I to selfless. He takes care of me. I look to him. He takes care of me. And the Bible says this. 
It says that by his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. There was never meant to be two layers of Christianity. The easygoing, nonchalant, attends when I feel like a Christian, and the super-Christian. Right? Rick's been called a super-Christian recently. He's being called a freak. And I'm like, that is amazing. That is awesome. People are confused by his life because he's very Christian. Can you believe that? You're just too Christian for me. You're just too Christian. You need to become a little more worldly like us. Just hearing those words is shocking, isn't it? Jesus, yes, he loves you. It's not about his love. I say it, you know what? I say it a lot, and I want to say it again. I want it to be heard. I will never, ever tell you. I don't care who you are, maybe listening to this podcast. You might be the worst of the worst of the worst. Jesus loves you. It requires nothing of us for him to love us. It requires everything from us to enter into that full grace and mercy, compassion, into this place. They had to enter. It says, he opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. You were not meant to just pray a prayer, read your word, and then just carry on with life. That's not the gospel. I'm reading the scriptures. This is not my perception. You're looking at the same verse I'm looking at. Look what it says, verse, and I'm closing here. Look what it says into verse 22. Verse 21, since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, verse 22, let us go to the local church and sing songs and listen to a sermon. That's fine. You can do those things. I'm so excited that you're here today. And we're gathered. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. That's what this is. But this is not church. This is the gathering together of believers. We're doing what the Bible told us to do. Why? Because we sharpen iron. We might be off in an area, right? And by being another believer, you start rattling something off. Can you believe such and such? And then your other mature believer is supposed to say, right? Hey, that's not right. Wait a second. What about some love and grace and mercy for that person? What do you mean? I'm right. But if you're by yourself, right? So we need to gather. And there is something special that happens in corporate worship. But you are not meant to go to a church. You are meant to be the church. I want you to say that out loud. I was not meant to go to church. I was meant to be the church. The Bible says you were called to go right into the presence of God. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, yes, who, Jesus covered our sins. He took his blood and wiped your sins away. Jesus put his law that was too hard for you to follow. He put it in your heart. Now you have a tug. Don't do that. And everybody knows it's there. You know, the, the world calls it the conscience. And even without Christ, he's still tugging on their hearts. He's constantly calling us. We just ignore it. Or we rewrite it. But it says this. That's not all. I also made an entrance. And not just made an entrance. It was by my death, Jesus is saying to us here in this church. 
and I want you to come into my presence. I don't want you just to pray a prayer. I don't want you just to read a book. When, I, when you read that word, when you pray those prayers, when you worship with your fellow believers, I want you to be in my presence with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And it says, verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his covenant promise. Wow. The gospel in its fullness is that Jesus, and I've talked four weeks ago now, connecting these dots, he created the pathway back. And I've been, you know, each week I've been building on these things, but pointing to this. The Holy Spirit is living in this temple right here, and I am living in Christ, seated at his right hand right now, present tense, in heaven. Heaven and earth are joined together. Heaven and earth are one. Me and Christ are one. You and Christ are one. And you know, when you think, when you read these verses, you know what it does? If you're a believer and you hear these verses and you meditate on these things, that's why what I read about the dedication, about saying it constantly, it's really hard to have hatred in your heart when you realize that Jesus died. Not so for me to have hatred towards someone. When I have lust in my heart, it's really hard to have it when I think, man, the Holy Spirit's sitting right next to lust in my heart. It's really hard to have greed when I'm like, man, I'm supposed to be in his presence and I'm being greedy about the things of the earth. Do you see what happens? You see how you don't have to try or struggle to be a mature believer, but if you live in his presence empowered by the blood that he paid a price to give you, it's much easier because now I'm not in this place. I'm in this place. And the mind is naturally in submission to the heart without me trying. Amen. Wow. I could keep going on. I will call that the end of today's sermon. It was a pleasure to, to preach this to you today. I know there's some weighty things here, but let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that your word is so good, that you have not confused us. You said, I will, from now on, I'm going to speak simply to you, to the disciples. You said, I'm just going to tell you plainly. The world is confused, but I'm going to tell my disciples plainly. I thank you, Lord, that your word is not confusing. It's simple, and it's plain. And I thank you, Lord, that you're calling us deeper into your presence. And Lord, I pray today we would remember your blood, we would remember the price you paid, and that, Lord, it was not just to give us a good life on earth, I thank you for all the blessings you've given us, but Lord, it was so that we would have a relationship with you, so that we would choose to run into your presence and live there with you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Bless you.